it's a uh, a sleepy short Memorial Day week infused caused edition of the Lighthouse Podcast. <laughs> We're running off of coffee and dreams, so let's uh, let's kick this off. Let's get this going. Hey Griff, do you know what time it is? Ten ten. That is technically correct, <laughs> unless you're listening at home and it says something different in your car and or on your phone because you're listening us to us in the bathroom. Do you think anybody listens to us on the podcast in the bathroom? Oh God, I hope not. But why not? Statistically, though, it, it could happen. Oh yeah. Well, to you, I if you are listening. If you're doing a little a, a, a pod and dump, I salute you. If you haven't figured out already, this is a tech podcast that we're on. This is what? Yeah, you're here on the Lighthouse IT Solutions podcast. I am one of two hosts. I am fifty percent of your hosts. You Matt Almendinger got cut in half. My other forty-seven point five. However, there may be a two point five percent error in calculations. Uh. Is Mr. Griffin Ball. Griffin, how are you? Pretty good. Lost a foot to the BDs. I think that's what you're referring to. <laughs> Griff, I want to jump in. I want to jump in and I want to start talking about stuff because we've, despite it being a short week, it has been a long couple weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, there's been quite a few things that have happened. Uh, not necessarily good things, too. So, <laughs> yeah, while I was relaxing on the couch, uh, we see a notice come through for a zero-day vulnerability for Microsoft Office, didn't we? Yep, Microsoft Office documents. Um, although they said that's not the only way, the only method, so I guess we'll kind of get into it. But, yeah, what is it called? Felina? Felina. Felina. Yeah, so this Kevin Bumont. Bye, Felina. Oh, no, that's Felicia. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> this Kevin Bo- Bo- Boymont. I would, I'll, I'm going to go with Beaumont. Beaumont. Let's do um, that. He's a security researcher, and he he, uh, he supplied us with that fun little name. Uh, there's not a great Microsoft version, so we're going to keep this Felino one. <laughs> it, it, entirely arbitrary, I like, is what we have in our notes. Yep. It's probably his dog's name. Who knows? That, like, he, right? he didn't even say. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be pretty, pretty funny. His dog's and, name. and it's it's not like it's something... Everything I'm reading about this exploit is... It is dangerous, but you have to knowingly open yeah, it, a document. It's avoidable with common sense, as is many of these types of exploits. So the scary thing is, is all too often, which we need to we need to iterate, scrutinize everything. Yeah. If you're not expecting a document from somebody, don't open it. Yep. And it, this one works with macros off and stuff. So like it's yeah, it, it's it is something dangerous. to do with launching links or resources or something yep so you get a you get a booby trapped doc file usually probably from an email because you know that's how most of these attempts happen works better than the doc file from the post office worker (laughs) he's like hey i got a fresh new dot doc for you oh oh thank you i'm gonna open it up (laughs) oh infected well it references a, a url i guess um and then that URL contains a little HTML file, and that runs some JavaScript code, and blah, blah, blah. We get to a, a bad bingo, little... <laughs> bingo, bango, yeah. <laughs> virus. <laughs> we got exactly how it works in the show notes, if you're curious. But it, it is something that is like, well, yeah, just don't e- open that email, man. You know, Use some of these common sense things that you've learned from cybersecurity training. Talk to and a then... blue in the face about it, but it's really important. This is easily mitigatable. Yep. 
because you don't open something that you don't recognize. But yep. that's it's it's what we say versus what reality happens. So the I mean, danger here is that it's based off of it launches these links. You talked about it. There's there's like a we'll call it like a tr- built-in troubleshooter mm-hmm. that can be called from Microsoft programs called like the Microsoft support utility or something like that or support diagnostic tool. Yeah, I guess that makes sense if it's called the MSDT. This troubleshooter is the same one that when you say, hey, you're not connected to the internet. Would you like some help troubleshooting? Which you they, click that. They and ruined then, in the most recent uh, Microsoft 10 versions because now it just searches the web. Have you noticed that? No, I didn't. Oh. If you're having problems, it's just like, all right, let's let's search the web for it. It I goes to Bing can't. and you're like, dude. <laughs> I see you can't connect to the internet. Let's launch this website for yeah. you. So well, well played. It's supposed to have some downloaded content for when you're not connected. Yeah. But yeah, long and short is it's supposed to be a troubleshooting tool to help you fix things. So your Microsoft Office document that's broken or Word's not working, you can use this proprietary, we call it a protocol handler. And so it launches a URL using the protocol handler, which then causes the MSDT to launch and run JavaScript because it's effectively a browser. Yeah. So blah, 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 blah. Arbitrary JavaScript code running. Yeah. And that is where we have our problem, right? Which can do some pretty malicious things. And as you said, because that MSDT handler is pretty much white flagged, it's assumed to be a Microsoft utility. This is a big flag because this is not a macro. Yeah. This is JavaScript running in a separate utility that gets run. Yep. Yeah. Oof. It's the documents, just pretty much a little foothold kind of thing. I guess that's a different term, but yeah. <laughs> but it also has a pretty easy fix, right? Yeah, just don't, don't open the document. Don't open the email that came in. Prevention is easy. Don't yep. open documents you don't recognize. Yep. Um, but the fix is easy, too. Let's just break the troubleshooter. Yeah. <laughs> and if we break the troubleshooter... Yeah. You're good. That's the official Microsoft workaround. Yep. Is yep. don't use the Microsoft troubleshooter. <laughs> Turn it off. Break the relationship between it. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, you know, kind of funny, but we were talking about, so internally gives you some, you know, behind the curtain stuff. We have these conversations about, you know, you have to take a look. Uh, what is the risk of us implementing these workarounds? Because a lot of times these workarounds are very early. And this is considered a zero day. It could create a different hole somewhere else. It creates a different problem. You know, and we have to go, okay, what is our likelihood that somebody's going to open a file? Yeah. Pretty high. And what are the opportunities or what are the, you know, so we're having a conversation of what happens if somebody runs the desktop troubleshooter tool? And and the joke was pretty much made. Do you think they know where it's at? (laughs) That is kind of our job. And that's why it is kind of our job. So, yeah. So that's what's being rolled. This this official workaround ultimately is there's probably not too many you people using the troubleshooter tool. Yeah, it's best to just break it. But of course, now we're expecting to see tickets from people who say the troubleshooter tool's not working when I have this problem, and we have to say, well, because this the yeah, and then in what for three weeks and, or two weeks yeah. or whatever, we're gonna have to roll this entire change back. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's a scary world. It is. You know what's really scary? How much do you think a Tesla costs? 130000 I mean, listen, I know there's the Mazda 3, but you know the how Mazda. I... <laughs> there is a Mazda 3. <laughs> you know there's a Tesla 3. Model 3, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's staying in, isn't it? 
that, what's the Model Three cost? It's probably like four. It's about 60? forty thousand, and, and it's it's their smaller version. Because yeah. I know you can put two put motors and front wheels and back wheels. So I think yeah, that's it's a dual like, it's a dual motor model, but yeah. not all of them have the dual yeah. motor. But I think know? the minimum is like forty or so, and then you know, which is, I mean, For please a Tesla, you know, it's, that's better than that's a good you know. price. But the Model S, which is kind of the flight. Yeah, it's a bigger. Either one. way, listen. Okay, you know what? Let's talk forty grand. You spend forty grand. Base price, I think, is kind of where they're at. Oh yeah, yeah. So you're probably still in fifty thousand dollars range when, by the time you get seats installed, yeah, and a firmware upgrade, and yeah. a firmware upgrade, <laughs> be kind of a shame to just have somebody be able to walk up and drive off with it because there really is no keys to this. No, it's your phone. Your phone is the authentication tool that is used. So it uses Bluetooth authentication, yeah. and it's like a proximity. Your kind of dad thing. has one, right? Yeah, yeah. You should look one. into this and see if you can just borrow it for a weekend. And see, see if I can pull this off. So what we're all chuckling about is there is apparently in the Bluetooth low energy standard yep. a bit of a problem. And yeah, this doesn't affect just Tesla. This is a, this affects anything that uses proximity authentication. So anything that, you know, if your home uh, security system, for instance, if, if it detects your phone is close by and it'll unlock the door for you, that type of thing, it affects all those devices. I think Mac was even trying to do something too. Yeah, I think so. Where there's NFC sort of near field stuff that you can do with Bluetooth LE. Yeah. So that when your iPhone got close to your laptop, it would unlock. So it, it, it really, I don't know if that ever got rolled out, but I know Apple was touting it as a feature. And this Bluetooth low energy standard is used by, and it, it's a standard, it's an industry standard. So it's used by many manufacturers, that type of thing. So the method that is exploiting this is called the relay station attacker, RSA. And it's pretty simple. It's the RSA just, sounds like a great gang name, doesn't it? The RSA. We're coming after you. We're coming after you. We're the RSA. <laughs> but yeah, it, put up your Bluetooth. It requires two people or two two hackers or devices, to, um, depending on how you do it. So somebody who's standing next to in, in proximity with the uh, the the key or you know whatever it is, the phone, whatever the, is the proximity authentication device. And then the actual device that it's, you know, trying to unlock. So one person's at the Tesla, for instance, one person's next to the person who has the the key. And there's just a little relay. They just kind of talk to each other, those two hackers. So basically what they're doing is, I, I mean. It's not complex. <laughs> it's not complex, but at the same token, you still have to know. It's that a physical that person, thing. Yeah. yeah, I still have to know that you, you've got that 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 blue sh that that blue tesla out there is yours yep and then i have to walk near you yep. with some creepy looking device idiots yeah not and then that funnels that traffic to echo it to the car yeah and then the car says okay prove yourself Boom. that device just echoes it mm -hmm. i mean how do you think i mean i guess there's got to be some different encryption layer either way i think the issue is this is this le is supposed to be low i mean it's it's in the freaking name, right? Yeah, yeah. It's low energy. So anything we do is going to involve additional electricity, yep. which is kind of a bummer. It, it's a hard thing to pull off realistically because you need to physically be there and stuff. It's not. It's but you know. have to know what you're, you basically have to know what you're taking. Yeah. But you can do this miles away it, as long as, because you're, you're probably sending it over internet or, or something the, the between the two attackers. So you could do this. You know, this person's just, at an You're just relaying traffic. Yeah, so it, it is kind of sketch. Like <laughs> the device is literally talking to the other device. It's just, 
it's basically VPN for your car. Yeah. <laughs> which is not a good, not necessarily not good, yeah. what you want. I don't want to be able to remotely start my car for the bad guys. Yeah, exactly. That'll be interesting. I'm curious. Um, and almost all of these types of attacks, because it really is just a broad, it's basically two transmit receivers mm -hmm. that can listen to Bluetooth. Yep. I got to imagine that I can radio shack these things. On oh, yeah. Cheap. Cost for one of the, the, the things that the little hardware aspects of this is like a hundred bucks. Gosh, I, so. almost, I almost want to do that just to play with it. Just to see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw a video of a guy testing it. He's got a little dongle on his laptop. And that's, that's, that's that it. was it. Yep. It's scary stuff, man. I, I don't know. I wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be too happy. I don't know. I'm just glad that my DuckDuckGo browser is private. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because uh, otherwise... They did release a browser recently, and they do. That's pretty much the main thing. It's, oh, yeah, this is a very private thing. Now, they use they use Bing for all their search results, which I'm already like, <laughs> what? Ah, all right, all right, all right. Hold on, hold oh, yeah. on. DuckDuckGo, which yes. creates, which has a browser, or which has a search engine... Well, the search engine also uses Bing. It just doesn't. Okay, so it's an aggregate of the yeah, Bing results. It, what it what it does is it it's, uh, uses a different algorithm that's a little bit more refined, and then filters the Bing results that it comes in. But then it also says, well, we're not going to download cookies. We're not going to you know send third party tracking to people and things like that. So like you know you're on Facebook, you're not going to yeah. get targeted advertisements exactly. somewhere else. That's exactly. And that's why a lot of people use it. Um, <laughs> turns out. That's not really the case. It is the case with some things like Facebook, but anything Microsoft ad service wise. Yeah. Ah, isn't that convenient? Yeah. No. Yeah. So pretty much all of the. I'm uh, sure that is embedded somewhere in some document. Oh yeah, man. So some legal document that none of us read, right? Yeah. They, uh, some, somebody found a hole in it and said that by uh, clicking a Microsoft provided ad in DuckDuckGo will reveal your IP address to Microsoft advertising services. Which, I mean, that's just pretty much exactly what DuckDuckGo said wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so it's the premise of their whole system. Yeah, is that you can is that you can browse the web. Yep. Anonymously. And this was a security researcher, researcher, uh, the Zed Wards. Of course, it was. Yeah, whatever that is. Oh, so. he's so he's so good. <laughs> I like him. He's got it all covered from A to Z. Ooh. Never ever have a gosh. So waterfalls to reference in there, I think. Oh god. So yeah, they he also found out that DuckDuckGo browser does not block Microsoft trackers on third party websites. So there is a way for things like Facebook and stuff to get so through some little bits. Not only yeah. is my browser telling Microsoft what what I'm up to. Yeah. But also the search results that are completely anonymous are not anonymous. Nope. You start getting those third-party cookies on your computer, man. That's it. Come on. Yeah. But it is Microsoft's luckily they Luckily, they owned up to it, right? Yeah, well. After they were caught. The CEO explained that, you know, he's doing some damage control. He explained that Microsoft cannot see what you search and that DuckDuckGo browser blocks all Microsoft cookies, which I, that guy literally, literally proved it was not true. How can they not see what you searched? You clicked on an advertisement and yeah. expo exposed your IP. Yep. They may not see exactly what you searched for, but they did see a relevant advertisement yeah. as a result of that search. And the Microsoft trackers passed to the other third party, so Facebook and stuff. So just because you're not allowing Facebook cookies or whatever, 
Microsoft trackers yeah. are still going to send all that info, info. So if I look up hemorrhoid cream and I find an advertisement <laughs> for hemorrhoid cream, well, guess what? I'm getting ads <laughs> for hemorrhoid cream. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I may not have said generic hemorrhoid cream, right? Or high performance. You know, gotta be careful. Series listening. To right, me. right. <laughs> Oops. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Or whatever Facebook app you have installed. Yeah. All of them. I just have them all installed. Yeah. I don't even have accounts with them. <laughs> so it's interesting, though, because this guy found out as well because he went to LinkedIn, too, because, you know, it's Microsoft owned. He started getting ads for that as well. So his tests were just verified, like, almost instantly. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is yeah. Uh, this is a major, major blow to the mission of DuckDuckGo. And this yep. is this is the problem that we have in a, I guess, I'll call it a freemium model because yeah. They don't really make money off of this, and advertising is important to all of it. Yeah, I mean, it's advertising dollars. Right? Really, like, yeah. So I get you have to make money, but you're making money uh, contradictory to your mission. Yeah, Your mission is for you to browse anonymously and privately, and what did you do? Screwed it all up. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know. I guess I know one person who kind of uses DuckDuckGo, but that's pretty much it. And I use it for Apple Maps. <laughs> That's right. That's it. That did come up. That is all. Let's uh, let's go on to happier news. I think, gosh, it's 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 hard with these holidays. I think the last time we talked is that uh, that Elon Musk mm. was kind of calling out that hey, we need to put this here acquisition on hold because you misrepresented things. Yeah, we did. We talked about cuz yep, we talked about bots and everything. Yeah. He he called out the CEO Parag. He said uh, that you're misrepresenting the user base because it looks like there's more bots than you said. And then the CEO uh, Parag's trying to be like, "Well, you know, there's there's some bots, but there's not a lot." And basically the deal hinges on whether or not he publicly proves that there's less than 5% um, of the user base are bots. And I think that quote is taken out a little bit. I think it's specifically monetized or mon uh, uh, users that can be monetized, um, which is a little bit different of a uh, audience. But yeah, so basically what's happening now is that the Twitter board has said that we're going to force this deal now because you, uh, uh, uh. yeah, <laughs> because you are, uh, you know, you've you've committed and now we're committed and this is this is the and way. Let's it is. be real. He made a huge public stink about the yeah. whole thing. He can't really get out of it. I think he he has kind of. I don't know. Do you think he got cold feet on some, or do you think he's I, trying to drive the price down a little bit because he's coming up short? Maybe. Yeah, but all right. The Twitter says that uh, we're going to close the transaction and force a merger agreement between Elon and Twitter. Um, but yeah, whether I mean whether or not he wants it or not, he is contractually obligated at this point because uh, he signed some stuff. So yeah, he's. He, I mean, they they did. Yeah, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out what his angle is here. I you can never can tell with him. Yeah, because he could just be crazy. Maybe he wants to name it Twitter with that little AE thing in there, like he did his own daughter. Like what? Who what knows, he, man? Yeah. yeah. But likewise, we saw which, I think they're they're friendly if not friends, but. Jack Dorsey, the CEO, has already left Twitter. Yet. Yeah, shortly so, like, after uh, Twitter was like, yeah, we're, this merger is going to happen and stuff. And I think Dorsey was kind of already planning on leaving. So I am guessing like been... he probably already knew that Elon wants to be CEO. He yeah. just can't wait to be king. So, 
Well, he plans on rolling over his 2.4% ownership stake to Elon. So I guess that's going to happen. And 2.4% of this huge that company, man. one person. Absurd. He knows he's going to get pushed out of it. Yep. So that he's left. I mean, he, he was the CEO for a long time. He went, he dropped and then went to just being on the board. And then that Parag guy's there. But like last time we heard Parag uh, had been freezing hiring and laying off people left and right. So things are changing, but we kind of expected that. I think that was one of the first things we said when this whole Twitter thing had come about it was like, yeah, well, the executives, there's going to be some changes in that, that top level. So, and here we are. This is happening. And, and yeah, might as well get in front of it. Right. Yep. Yeah. We know else is changing. Dude, Outlook. the world's changing. Outlook's changing. Why? Yeah, it's it's improving, right? Oh God, man, I'm actually kind of upset. I really hope this doesn't happen. <laughs> so the Outlook Windows app, uh, Microsoft just gave us a preview, and it's for, it's missing a bunch of features because it's kind of a preview. It's in beta. Fair enough. But it mirrors the web client, and they plan on replacing the calendar and in in mail app to look the same. I was gonna well. say, I think I actually read about this. This is kind of weird, right? Because one of the biggest, like, I'd almost describe one of the most valuable programs in Microsoft Office What's the ads Outlook? was Outlook. The difference between home and student and home and business is that it didn't include Outlook. It yeah. was trying to get that extra. It was like a hundred extra dollars for you to get Outlook. A, a requirement like at would, that point. For yeah. businesses. Yeah. And yeah. I know you can make the Well, you know, students just are going to use web client. This is kind of a big deal because now... What we're kind of feeling is Outlook is going to be a free product. Kind of like how Teams is. Yeah. yeah. But it's getting more people in their environment. So is that a good move? Yeah. It could be. I mean, Microsoft, we're noticing, is migrating more towards a cloud strategy, a services company. So this makes sense, right? If I'm going to integrate tightly with Microsoft 365 or Outlook.com, if you're using that as a free service, as opposed to Gmail, if it's easily connectable yeah. and you're familiar, I mean, that's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And the new app is available for Office Insiders in the beta channel. I'm going to hold off. Yeah, I'm going to hold off too. <laughs> Just going to wait Because I that. love my Outlook. Yeah, um, I don't. I've got the latest sort of like preview features in it. And and I'm I made the mistake let's go brave uh brave challenge to move up to windows 11 and stuff oh, yeah. so the version i have kind of mimics a lot of the design language which yeah, but I a lot think of it's just ui funny. and stuff like it it's rounded corners and drop shadows which i feel like we've freaking been here before yeah thanks mac let's uh <laughs> well even windows i think vista yeah vista was um Rounded corners, drop shadows, and gradients. Oh my! Yep. Yeah, and uh, it feels like this is kind of going back to that that style. Remember when flat was? It, it's like flat's changing too, though. Yeah, now. flat flat yeah. was flat as whack. Now is that what flat is whack? I don't know. I don't know. Things this are moving is, quick, man, and people are going in different directions. So we'll see who lasts. But I, this is kind of matching the Windows 11 theme, so probably is going to look fine. But I'm worried about losing features. I'm worried about losing some cool stuff. And I don't really and like the web client. So <laughs> Really? I don't hate it. It, it. I honestly think the web client, thankfully, is the best it's ever been. But I've gotten to watch it since version one launched yeah. in 2003. Yeah. And it was unusable. And the only way to get a decent use case out of it was to run it on Internet Explorer. Oh. 
So if you didn't run it on IE, you had to run it in a reduced functionality browser, which was even worse. So I'd, I'd say the Outlook web app is 80, 90% of the features of Outlook when you're using it with 365 slash exchange. But I also, I guess I, there are certain things that I'm just an app person because it's re- more responsive. And yeah, I don't know. I just like having it. Um, helps with workflow. But I, yeah, I mean, I use that for personal stuff, the web client. And like, I don't know. Yeah, it's not, it's okay. But I also don't really like Gmail either. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of bummed. I'm kind of losing my my excitement towards Gmail. It doesn't seem to be doing spam. Spam's really getting through now. It doesn't seem like there's been any updates in so long. Yeah. It just kind of seems like the same thing. And uh, if you're on Workspace or whatever they call it today, it's getting expensive. G Suite, I think. And there's no technical support to it. Even when you pay, the technical support's terrible. Yikes. But what is exciting is Microsoft's brand new uh, ARM initiatives. Heck, heck yeah! Heck I'm, yeah, man. Listen, I am. It goes beyond. I'm tired of, I'm just, tired of being super excited and being like made fun of for this. But ARM processors really are becoming the way to go. Well, Microsoft thinks so too because they're making a mini desktop computer, and it's going to be sweet. We have it's unnamed, so we don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> they've got a. Uh, my little Snapdragon in there. That's I guess. It's got to have a cool name though, right? Is there at least a project name? Uh Project Volterra. But Ooh. you know, it sounds like it's probably not gonna last. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. This is something that we kind of we need as a society because the x86 architecture has been around since what the seventies. Old, 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 old. And and we're kind of just patching upon patching upon patching. Yep. And and. There's really no major innovations to it. Yeah. And we need something to be modern. And what better thing? The ARM processor has been around for what? About 15, 20 years. Um, So it's got a little bit of stability. We can see that those clock speeds that we were all worried about are starting to come up. But the thing is, is that we can't just focus on clock speed. It's super efficient. And they're, they've been pretty well, not multi-core from the beginning, but that's kind of sort of some where some of this hyper-threading technology and kind of stuff was aped from. You're seeing a lot coming from these processors. They do so much in a single chip. Yeah, and efficiently. So low, efficiently. low power usage and, yeah. Yep. And they're reasonably priced compared to the Intels. Yeah. Or I shouldn't say Intel, but yeah, Intel developed ones. the x86. Yeah. But, you know, like AMD, really the only other competitor still in the market. Yeah, AMD and Intel. But They're the only ones it. that survive yeah. is AMD and Intel. Yeah. And they every every three, four years, they get a one-up on each other. and then Well, you know, it's funny. At one point then. in time, it was almost an Intel world. AMD was the only yeah. competitor and had them up against AMD the really just started getting better recently, the past... I don't even know, probably 2017, the, maybe? 2016? The Athlon series is what saved them. They were the first processor to hit one gigahertz. Oh, wow. Well, that was that was the other cycle back then, though, that too. That single core, yeah. single thread. Yeah. And now you're like, well, my laptop today is 1.6 gigahertz. 
your laptop today is quad core. So yeah. there's so each four, one of those uses. Yeah, <laughs> there's effectively four computing engines yeah. that also have hyper threading, which makes them which virtual makes it, cores and has eight which now. And, effectively yeah. means it's 16 1.4 or, yeah. or 1.6 gigahertz processors. Just a ton. So, um, but no, the, the ARM processors, lower heat. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, let's well, low power equals low heat. Yeah, they need low. Yeah, they need less electricity, which means lower heat to yep. accomplish what they need to do. Which means savings, but it also means higher reliability. Yeah, the performance is there. The functionality, because we we have so many mobile devices built on ARM. Yeah, the cellular modems can be built into. Um, you know, all of these technologies. TPM was kind of sort of started there and then moved over. So security modules started on ARM. So it's just become this really big, robust, developed playground. Why shouldn't we be using it? And if the cost is lower than, say, an equivalent Intel AMD, you know, an x86 processor, gosh, why aren't we moving there faster? No reason not to. Well, Microsoft's putting a lot of resources into this. They are releasing ARM native versions of Visual Studio, uh, like, you know, .NET Framework, you know, all all that stuff that's going to be very... uh, ingrained in windows operating systems i can't wait i yeah. abs i absolutely can't wait well we'll we'll learn more as in the coming weeks but that was just a blog post that Mark, microsoft put out so and, in introducing and all this i know i've plugged it before but i have the surface pro x which is yep, one of the their, first ones that they is had. their arm is their arm Maybe based the tablet yeah. from them yeah. yeah um and i absolutely love it uh, software compatibility is the only kind of major issue i've had but that's changing and that is changing rapidly yeah um and i think with this many desktop they're releasing i think that's gonna it's really gonna help yeah yep and i think people now that they see mac is pushing apple's pushing with their mac line yeah well yeah i I guess they're a processor manufacturer now too so i guess they are (laughs) yep yep um because i've got the m1s and all that so it'll be exciting i think we're finally we're seeing something that i don't think i ever saw ever happening I think at one point in my life, I did. I'm like, oh, the Intel can't last forever. The x86 is, it's that architecture is going to have to go away. And then it got massive. And then it kept getting and sticking around. Yeah. And I'm like, never mind. We're never going away from it. And then we, you'd see the, I'm like, man, the processor on my phone is, is getting incredible. Yeah. What I can do. But I, mean, I never. Phones have peaked, really. I mean, there's a lot of people who are like, well, it could just keep getting bigger. But realistically, not for a while, I think. I don't think we're going to need much more than, you know, eight gigs of RAM in a phone. That's going to be wild. I hope not. Yeah. Because then what do you got going that on? That means we're not focusing on efficiency. We're focusing on something else. Power. And that's, the way yep. to, that's not the way to go. And yeah. So, but I also think the more devices that are using these ARM processors, yeah. the more versatile they'll become. And they're already really versatile. Yeah. I'm, ex- I'm excited by it. I'm excited by that. Um, the only thing that could be cooler is if ARM processors came to this framework laptop and oh, i don't yeah. think we, we've talked about a company that had a modular phone yeah which was which was cool pine pine i think yeah yep i thought that was cool um i think you you kind of were more into it than i am because i was like I'm into, this, I'm into this innovation this yeah, is I, yeah, I want this to keep going 100 okay fair enough I, I, that's that's true but then we've we kind of stumbled across this company called Framework, which makes modular laptops. Yeah, which I can definitely get behind. Now all of a sudden, yeah. okay, now I'm in. 
And the idea is that you can swap core components even down to the hinges, I think you found. Yeah, and you can do different weight capacities of the hinges because maybe you want a bigger battery and you've bought the bigger battery or whatever, and you can can adjust from there. Or maybe you want one-touch lift or something like that for your laptop. Yeah. There's just a million... Things that maybe you, you maybe you want to put different engravings on there so the front cover can be easily swapped out. Yep, separate from the screen that they sell. So, exactly. You know, and, yeah. um, oh, you bought that brand new laptop, but the latest and greatest processor came out. Yeah. But you have you everything else you bought was all custom. You've customized it to what you want. Yeah. Well, you can replace the motherboard, which includes the motherboard. The CPU, CPU and RAM, and RAM I think. I think. Yeah. And you can still, the, the RAM is removable and the hard drives are too. Yeah. But usually you can, you, the kits that we saw also included yep. memory upgrade. The whole system looks sweet. You can swap out trackpads, webcams, yeah. every single port. You can. It only has like four or five ports that are just ambiguous, and then you can buy those little additions to plug in, so you can get you know USB C. If you want Ethernet, you can do that. Do you instead. want Ethernet? Yeah, yeah, you can actually get Ethernet in your laptop. I know, which is man, they haven't been around but for that in a while. They did have those little ones that like expanded out the Ethernet ports. Yep. But I, mean, I still haven't seen I still those. Still haven't in a while. seen those. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's weird. But yeah, th- this thing's sweet. I love it. I'm really excited. It, it's got good processors and stuff on it. Yeah, and some of the technology is, I'm not going to call it revolution, it's just somebody had good insight. Yeah. Because a lot of those little modules, there's little, so we talk about, do you want HDMI and do you want that? It just uses a USB-C connector, so it's obviously some type of manufactured adapter, but the module slides into the body and click locks in place. So it's not like it's going to fall off. But it it already uses a standard, so like you don't have to be worried about things changing too much. (laughs) And I felt like the costs were fair. Yeah. Everything's been pretty good. It's reasonable. I think the only thing that when I looked at it, the motherboard is the most expensive component, but it's also the most critical part. So all of your feature upgrades, your wireless cards, everything are all built into it. It is the most expensive part. I did feel like the cost of that was maybe a bit on the high side to upgrade. But I felt like comparatively everything else was super reasonable, and real yeah. and realistically, you're probably only upgrading the motherboard every couple of years, if you want it. Yeah, if you want it. What a cool thing! Well, yeah. I, I love it, and and the actual. So yes, you can buy the individual kits, but you can also. So this also means that this is the height of repair, right? I break oh, yeah. my screen; it's designed to be replaced. You break your hinge. This it, could be one of the last laptops you ever buy. Yeah, they sell everything individual. Everything. So your wireless card breaks, boom, put a new one in, bam, done. Yep. Everything's beautiful on it. And they sell like the actual laptop put together already if you just want to do that and that's your starting ground. You and, know. and the price on that was reasonable as well. Yeah. I mean, here's the... I bet you it costs you maybe $100 more, maybe $200 more per se. And I guess that's coming from what my normal perception of cost is. Because we're also seeing that there, everything is expensive right now, so it's probably not even that bad. But it's it's effectively, you know, I think we saw motherboards going for about nine hundred bucks, which is expensive. It's like a, what a fourteen fifteen hundred dollar computer. Well, you right? can buy the twelfth gen, which is the most recent one, for ten forty nine. Yeah, and then you can buy it unassembled for eight nineteen. The whole laptop, whole thing. Oh, yeah. What was I reading then? Why did I think it was fourteen hundred dollars? The main boards. Um, if I look at a twelfth gen main board, um, yeah, six ninety nine, four forty nine. They're not too expensive. I can't. I mean, I mean, it is a mobile motherboard. Yeah, 
that would be your, we'll put it this way. I will say the $600 range, that is the repair cost of a motherboard for any other oh, vendor. Yeah. And all you're going to get for that repair cost is what was in it before. Yeah, yeah just fixed this, or maybe fixed. <laughs> this, you get an upgrade. Yeah, an entire upgrade. Freaking love this, Now, you man. can't you can't swap out CPUs or anything like that. It's all soldered They're in. They're soldered in, but, but that's like, how motherboards on mobile devices yeah, work. No different. And it makes it easier. It makes it a thin laptop. I mean, we're this is a tiny, tiny laptop. Uh, you can do, I think it's I think it's only 13-inch screens, but you can, you can have thicker bottoms and stuff like that, so... Pretty sweet, man. I'm loving. I'm it. excited for it. I, I really like it. I wish they had a partner program because I'd be all over that. But I think most of our clients really want a 15-inch screen. Actually, let me see what the because they might offer more than one screen. No, they can't. They, that would ruin. It would the, have to change the size. And this is what we were talking about. I think the only thing that they have is they're going to have to have families. Yeah, because for sure. you do. You are going to get into a spot because I think let them get started. Let's let them. Yep. Let's and let them focus on it. They've been around but for about four or five years already. There's two major glaring things that we saw, I, uh, at least that I saw immediately. Lack of screen size variation. Yep. Just 13.5. Just, yeah. So we'll call it a 14 inch. This is a three by two, though, which is a little taller, but yeah. So surface laptop. Surface, exactly. Yeah. And then discrete graphics. Yeah, not a thing. So the lack of those two items kind of is like, listen, yeah. I think they're on to something, but I also think that's a new family. I it think you can have a, I be. think you have your ultra portable. Mm -hmm. And then I think you can, because what, I mean, honestly, what if you could upgrade the chassis to a 15 inch chassis? And just include that and motherboard just move, and, yeah, and be like, oh, now I can have a mobile well, graphics Just buy the chassis if they can keep that other piece incorporated. Yeah. And maybe that's where they're going. They've just only release the one product line because and it looks good that's where they're yeah let's make a, a yep but it, it it is to me they're lacking a 15 inch screen and they're lacking discrete graphics but right now that's the only two things that i can find that i don't Which that i miss totally fine for now and the bulk of everybody <laughs> is not looking for discrete graphics yeah no and if yeah if you're already doing a diy laptop you you probably have a desktop at home you probably got graphics on that you're this probably is, yeah but is this diy I mean, how great. Kind okay, of. here's where I get excited, Griff. As a service provider, this really adds value to our clients to have an upgradable and replaceable laptop. Yeah. They don't have a partner program. Customizable. Yet. You can put cool little trim on there, well, too, if you want. You know, yeah. Colored trim. Yeah. We could finally bring out that laser engraver we bought oh, yeah, and uh, customize the lids. And when they screw up, we just replace the lids. I wouldn't have to be worried about that. That'd be bad. Me. What I like, I'm looking at a little video. Everything's just like layman labeled. Everything's just you unscrew the bottom, and then it's just like memory, motherboard, yeah. RAM. Yeah. <laughs> like so here's everything right here, here, here. This is where it goes. And it has like pointers like unscrew and screw. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go. Let's go from. I'm excited about that. I really do want to see how they progress and go from there. I, I'd love to partner with them. Yeah, you can buy. I think it's such a great stuff, so you can get in cheap. Yeah. So. So let's go from a company that is all focused on DIY. Yeah, and a company who's uh, just And let's of... go to a company that's being forced to do DIY. Yeah. Last time we were talking, we were talking about the, uh, what was it, 70-something pounds of... In two of, boxes. Of is... beef that is the Apple yeah. self-service repair kit. It's like 45 and like 25 pounds or something. I forget. We're, we're starting to see some reviewers talk about the experience with the DIY kit. Oh, man. it'd be I would want to just get one of these just to see. 
But so, do you have a broken phone? Because I might, I might be willing for us to try it. I don't have a phone that could be. I have a phone with a, a faulty SIM thing, but that's. I'll, a, I'll see what I got, but yeah. Uh, or if somebody has a broken recent model iPhone that wants to get it fixed, yeah, I, 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 I'd throw I'd throw some money for the experience. Because yeah, apparently it's cheap. I don't understand how. Well, let's let's talk about that. Okay, because we so, talked it was like under a hundred dollars to do this. Yeah, yeah, it, it, under a hundred dollars to do this. So let's talk let's talk this through. So I've read a couple of what we'll call reviews, but they were they were writer experiences for some tech blogs. The first one, the first writer that I read about damaged his phone in the second step damaged oh. damaged the screen in the edges um okay that's just probably the heating portion there, there is there is so you have to prep the phone yeah. then you put it in this little heat tray and then you put it basically in a heat press and you have to separate the glass yeah because it's glued or behind, yeah yeah you know, silicone in or something in that same yeah because you're you're trying to concentrated superheat yeah that adhesive to release um, in that same step, another reviewer that I was, or writer I was looking at, um, his heating base threw an error code and there were no references to what error codes were. Oh, yikes. So his instinct was to run the machine twice. Oh no. And it still didn't really work. He got it off, but it left an ex a significant amount of residue everywhere. So he had to like scrape it all clean as much as he could. And the Apple manual that you get, cause you have to follow this thing to an absolute T. Yeah. Otherwise they really don't, you can't touch it. Uh, mentions using tweezers and that should come off in two or three, you know, chunks. And he's like, no, he goes, actually, by the time I was done, he goes, I left some of the old stuff on there. It was getting so bad. It was so many loose pieces. Wow. Well, the other thing that we found out is you don't actually have to rent the tools. You can do it sans tools. If you if really? you've got the stones to do it without all of without their, their stones, you can just buy the replacement parts. But you don't get any of the manuals or anything. The manuals are included as part of the tool set. All right, that's a weird way of doing it. When you're done with the repair, you have to acknowledge that you've read everything, done everything, and <sighs> going through. Look at terms. They have they have random codes inserted in the document that you have to enter wow they are to prove that you're reading this Jeez, they're making this very terrible but because it's really well we'll get i guess this we'll is all the try apple trying to cover them in lawsuits or something they, they're doing what they're being forced by the european union to do yeah. but what they're trying to do is make it so unappealing yeah, that nobody want wants to do, to do it and they can say look you're putting this cost of burden on us and nobody wants to do it I'm not done with the proof on that one, but I want to continue on. When you're done, the battery is not charged at all, so you have to charge it for a couple of minutes. And then um, it was the battery was reported as being not genuine. Oh wow! In shipped the genuine. From, shipped from Apple. Oh my shipped God. from Apple. What you do is you have to connect to a laptop or desktop and like register the battery or something. And then reach out to, you go to this website oh for a logistics God. company who remotes into your computer. Oh, This no. isn't DIY. Holy crap. They remote into your computer and then run some utilities that programs the phone to accept the battery as genuine. Hmm. Yeah, they are making this as unappealing as possible. Yeah, yeah. 
So huh. I mentioned you have to acknowledge, this hey, I did DIY. this. I did no, no. no. You can't do it. To have I... to have a third yeah. to have Apple effectively remote into a computer to you validate the repair. Yourself. This isn't. Yeah. yeah, this is still them. Um, one of the writers said that you have to you're writing all these acknowledgments and everything. Not everything's included in the kit. So using tweezers is used in one of the descriptions. Oh, there's no tweezers. There was no tweezers. Classic. And then also you're supposed hmm. to have on standby a jar full of sand in case the phone <laughs> in case the phone explodes and catches fire. Holy crap. Huh. Okay. Not included sand. <laughs> sand not Safety included. Safety gear not included. They hand you something that is able to melt adhesive, industrial adhesive. Yeah. And the phone may explode as a result of that Which because it's close to a battery. Somebody's already experiencing error codes on that. Yeah. That's some yeah, that's some yeah, what the heck does that mean? And these are these are rented technically. So like the fact that these are kind of new for their lifespan, these these kits should be, you know, going to people to you know, person to person. So the battery kit is sixty nine dollars. Nice. Okay. It's not bad. You also, when you, you have to return your battery, so you'll get a core return. It's about 24 bucks. So it's yeah. what, roughly $45. But I'm going to be honest with you. They charge you for all the different materials. So let's just stick that that $70 price range. Let's just assume that's really what you're going to get okay. out of this, okay? Is it, I'm going to guess, because we guessed last time, is it like the you, the tools that you're touching, are you getting charged additional for? Like Absolutely. A, it is, isn't it? Oh, my God. It's like a, it's like so a hotel it uh, is, mini bar. It is. So now you have to pay $49 to rent those tools, which, okay. look, yeah. you can make the case they're probably charging you more in shit. They're probably not covering their shipping costs at 50 bucks, but whatever. I, I guess it's still, yeah, it's you're, at, you're at $70 for the repair, $50 for the rental. So you're at $125 to repair your own device. Yeah. But you get your own device, it's right? A trillion like, dollar company who might be saving loyalty of a customer. That's kind of important. So you can probably waste 50 bucks. Yeah. But wait. Um, <laughs> wait you also have to have, uh, it, they place a, an authorization hold on your credit card for the cost of the tools that get reused for $1,210. Oh, no. And if you do not return the tools in seven days, mm. then they just charge you for the entire cost. The $50 rental fee, the $1,210 plus your materials. Wow. All out there. It's a $1,300 repair at that case. Now, I guess at the end point, you got brand new tools. You can start a new business with Apple because you've got all the manuals <laughs> yeah, and everything, that's true. right? Yeah. So, well, you, you don't have the, the tech to remote into your <laughs> computer, but yeah. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But you could. Do it for other people yeah. and just buy the tool, like buy the, the battery on its own, right? Just live on hold with the Apple support, yeah. <laughs> so you get this thing. So for $69 plus the $49 plus the $1,210 credit hold, you yourself are the one that has to do the labor and the risk of damaging your device is all on you. This and is everything. Maybe and, not returning it in time or something. If you crack that screen, your wife is leaving you. <laughs> Is all I'm saying. Yeah, because now you have a because you have a broken dollar bill. Why don't you just take it to the Apple Store? I can do it myself. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, do you want to guess how much the same repair costs at an Apple Store to have them do it in the in the back of the store? I mean, even if it's like like eighty percent less, I'd be like that's still you know two hundred dollars or so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see. It's six. Note. It's sixty nine dollars. That's to ridiculous. Have, 
So the cost that they charge you for the materials to buy the battery and the hmm. materials is what they charge to do it all completely themselves for you. Yeah. Honestly, they did this on purpose. Honestly, very smart of Apple to do this entire thing. This, this is, is entirely the, done. This to is a make slap you, to the U. <laughs> yep, this is entirely done. So right off the bat, this costs fifty dollars more than having the Apple Store, and you have to assume every ounce of liability. Yeah. And still, it's not do it yourself. It's wild. And and still, you have to contact them. I want to believe it. Did you see length of, of time that it took for them to re- do these, these repairs that these writers did? Um, I got the impression that it's probably a, an hour or two repair and they didn't know what they were doing. So it's probably a two hour ish, but I suppose the process in general is pretty slick. Yeah. And it's the same tools that the Apple store is probably using. Yeah, man. I don't, I don't want to like give up a, day and a half to do that though because you got to get on support and stuff the worst so remember i said that the rental for the tools is seven days and if it's not returned yeah yeah the rental tools the tools ship separately from the battery and materials so the oh, so one, they could arrive at different times the one review that i read or the the experience user experience yeah. i read said the battery showed up two three days after he got so the he has tools. four days to, so to he do has this. to jump right i mean like yeah you still had four days but like that delay yeah you don't know somebody could get there and be charged the 1210 just because well ups truck it catches on fire you're you're screwed you well, they're, your shipping, battery, they're you got... shipping yeah maybe my battery comes from california yeah and my my toolkit's coming from indiana yeah and you're in ohio and boom you got yeah oh, man. one of them's one day transit one of them's five day transit yeah this is terrible this, this is Designed yeah. completely as a screw you to the EU. Wow. Absolutely. You know it's not designed to be a screw you to the EU or anybody, though. Pizza vending machine. Oh, are now we in Japan this, finally? <laughs> this is where the world needs to be. So this company called Pistro. Pistro, nice. Yeah, some maestro, maestro pizzas. High, yeah, yeah um, raised something like five hundred and eighty million or some ridiculous <laughs> amount of money <laughs> for pizza vending machines. Oh man, I guess that's a, that's a concept everyone can get behind. So yeah, five hundred. So imagine million. just being in a mall and wanting to buy a pizza. You can yeah. buy an entire pizza via touchscreen, and it'll get assembled right in front of your eyes in minutes, and then it. They so you do even get to have, see it too, huh? and they even have these storage lockers too. So, mm. have you been to like a Little Caesars lately? Don't judge, but not, they have their but... thing called the Pizza Portal. Okay. Um, so the Pizza Portal is once your order comes up, it's basically a warming system. But instead of going to the tray and then having to talk to the kid who doesn't care whether you live or die, you go up to the machine, you scan a QR code on your phone, and then a ew, a door opens up and reveals to you the the I'm not going to say pizza. glory because it's Little Caesars, but um, uh, which I don't mind. Uh, listen, I give, I'll give a lot of hate to Little Caesars, but I think the hot, <laughs> the hot and ready really ruined them as a brand, but it also saved them as yeah. a brand, right? Dude, this is like massive, though. This is a well, six foot by probably five, four foot huge device. Takes, 
creates the dough. Has a massive window and you lay, just watch yep. it. Yeah. And and basically once it puts it on a tray, the tray rotates and so it's got things to squirt on the sauce nice and wow. evenly. Then it's got uh, your cheese, it'll dispense the cheese yeah. as it's spinning, and then you have a toppings dispenser. And then what it does is it goes through and then it in that same thing, it's got a heating element that cooks the, the food while it's just spinning. It's kind of like one of those, uh, you know, those Presto pizza oven things where it's just yeah. like <laughs> you put it on a tray, it just spins and heats very concentrated. They work well enough, and that's what this is, a commercial version of that. Then once it's done, it boxes it up and puts it through into a slot. But yeah. They've already they've already got designs to have these pizza lockers, like I said, the Little Caesars thing is, so that the machine can conveyor belt it into different locker numbers so you can queue up your orders, and then when you show up, you just basically scan your QR code or you enter your order number, and it will open up and reveal to you your pizza eat goodness. Heck yeah. Great idea, especially because what we're noticing is because of labor costs and everything else going on. Yeah, that just simplifies he, everything. Pizza, the cost of a pizza is now at an all-time high of being 32% of the costs associated with wow. a pizza, which is pretty substantial for that market. The Paestro would turn all of that <laughs> takes the labor cost down to zero. Yeah. So they're looking at having two versions, one that are basically kiosks that you could throw up in random retail areas and just get a pie to go. It's got a big touchscreen interface. Hey, put that in a mall. Put that, oh, not in yep. a mall anymore, but yeah. <laughs> versus, and then versus also having models designed for more of a commercial type setting, like retail setting. Well, like where, imagine where the was, machine just produces it and then yeah. you just have a, you have an operator. A lot of the breweries I've been to have like a pizza oven, you know, and that's yep. like how they function as for food or whatever. But like, yeah, that would solve all of their problems with labor and, and crap right. pizza because it's always bad at a brewery or it's always yeah. just like, eh, well, you it, guys are kind of just adding on to You're it. trying, you're trying to, right? Yeah. Yeah. I liken it to, I'm going to plug our coffee maker again, right? Yeah. <laughs> can you, can you find a better cup of coffee? Sure. But it's very good. Yeah. But more importantly, it is incredibly consistent. Mm. The only thing yeah. that changes the flavor in our coffee is the coffee beans. Yeah. Which you kind of want. And so That's in awesome. this, you're making your pizza. It's whatever fresh ingredients you load into these machines. Consistent. But it's consistent. This is the way fast food's going, man. It, this is, I mean, this is going to happen with well, burgers. This is going to happen with everything. I tell you, it's not exactly the same, but I went to a restaurant there was like a ramen place down in Columbus. Yeah, yeah. And a robot served me. Yeah. And and it's they a make bit, it up. Yeah, they make it up. I placed an order on my phone. It went back to the kitchen. I hear you know from the metal spatula is making my food. And then all of a sudden a robot whistling music comes up and says food, you know, like and I take it and I say thank you on the on his head. Awesome. It's got a thank you button and you go that and he's like, "Okay, have a good day," you know, and and yeah. walk away and uh and and rolled off, you know, and that's the future I want to be in. <laughs> so I hate to say it, like right? The reality is you as a consumer want the best value for your pizza. Yep. And whether you say, listen, I'm willing to pay enough if I know that the people got a decent wage, if if my pizza costs $30 for you to buy and Little Caesars costs five, yep. how often are you buying my $30 pizza? The reality is, is that businesses have to control costs. This machine will not call off, might break down, sure, 
if you can buy two, right? That's going to be the argument. So the next step is to uh, have a drone fleet with this to deliver pizza. Them. And yeah, literally no one would work there. It would just be. It's crazy, but you aren't far off. Pizzas and get made, drones deliver them. Done. The, f- the future is here, Griff. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But I dig it. I, I think this is a really cool thing. And, and the reality is that in order to combat some of these inflation costs and labor shortages, you're going to see automation take over. It, yeah. And you can white label them. Yep. Powered by Pistro. Yep. Is pretty much how it is. But but yeah, imagine, you know, our local chain here, Marcos, having a Marcos Pistro. And that is really where it comes down to. Like, right? You can say, well, you can load up your own ingredients. Like if it, everybody's got these, well, yeah. okay. You're the one that puts your ingredients in there. Yeah. So each pizza. You can twist it for sure. Can, yep. Put a twist on. But it's going to be consistent yeah. every single time. Griff, you want to go back to the past? I'll, but get, like, I'll get my DeLorean. But we'll go to the future. Ooh. Ooh. Already got there. Oh. Guess who's back? What? Do, what? Is DeLorean back? No way. Is it actually? DeLorean's back, man. Holy crap. Is it really? DeLorean is back is a- with a brand new Alpha 5. Oh my God, EV. Yep. Oh my gosh. DeLorean's making a comeback with, of course, because it's such a futuristic ride. It's got the gull wings. This it's got awesome. the everything. Now, Johnny D, Johnny DeLorean is not involved in this, but uh, DeLorean is coming back as a performance EV. So who owns DeLorean then? So uh, I don't remember his name, but he's he's a guy out of Texas. Um, he bought the rights to the DeLorean name and everything. Yeah, because it. it went bankrupt and, you know. It did. He bought this 90s, back in 80s. 1995. Okay. Um, so he has the rights to use the name and everything. Um, Taking the name and making an EV out of it does make sense. That's not a bad idea. And you think he's been sitting on this since 95. Actually, the guy has kind of made his money by being a well-known restorer of DeLorean DMC-12s. So Makes sense. Yeah, so he's a big DeLorean enthusiast. So for this project, he's ponying up. They showed off, and we're going to get a little bit more information later this year. It's going to start making the circuits, but... It's all the standard stuff you expect out of a performance EV. They said it's it's going to do the zero to sixty in the yeah. times that you expect. I mean, it's electric. How not? Four motors. It's and stuff, not probably. going to be. I don't think it's going to be fully stainless steel, but it's going to have a modernized shape that uh, that reflects the lineage and the heritage of the DMC twelve, but modernized. What I think is really cool is to kind of preserve that innocence of that car. The original was designed by a company called Ital Design, which is still around today. Oh, so they get them they back. They designed nice. the new Alpha 5. Oh, so, it, oh man, everything about that's perfect. That That's awesome. I love that. So you're going to get big, giant, you know, infotainment screens everywhere. You're going to get Bluetooth out of your new DeLorean. You're going to get all kinds of stuff. So there's going to be more tech, but also probably less tech because... What I didn't see on the options list is a flux, flux capacitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Flux capacitor. But theoretically, this one is light enough to be able to hit 88 miles an hour. Well, I got to imagine it's going a lot. That's <laughs> probably a lot faster than that. That's awesome. So, oh, yeah, top a, speed, 155. It's that. exciting. It's exciting. So 300 miles on a full charge, that's pretty. That's really good. It's good for a for performance. performance EV. Yep, yep. That's nice. Oh, his name was actually John DeLorean. I thought you were kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the story of John DeLorean is he was a GM exec responsible for the design of the Pi- uh, Pontiac Firebird. Oh, cool. 
and the GTO. Similar. And so he was really excited. He was trying to get GM to design a European style sports car. And they were just like, Americans aren't going to buy that. And they were right. Yeah. That's because in the (laughs) eighties, well, there's a lot of reasons that company went out of the business. And I'm going to simply just say, because this is only, you know, a 45 ish minute podcast on average. um, I'm pretty well just going to say, if you can find a documentary on John DeLorean is well worth it. The dude did anything to, he could to keep that company afloat, including mewling drugs. Oh, Really? He was heavy deep in like the mafia. In DeLoreans? <laughs> well, the DeLoreans were being used, yeah. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So he was just constantly in order. And, and he was doing it because he was trying to make sure that his staff stayed employed. Wow. He was doing anything and Some everything to keep stuff. the... He was doing anything and everything to keep the company afloat. Wow. It is it is well worth checking out. Find yourself a uh, a good documentary on the history of DeLorean. It is it is phenomenal, um, and why they pick Scotland and everything as the as the hub for the the factory, and it's it's pretty pretty yeah, interesting. I'll watch that. And then get yourself all psyched up for the new Alpha Five. Yeah, can't wait to talk about it. It kind of reminds me a little bit of a Porsche in the background, which I is to say, I actually like the taillights of the new Porsches. Um, they're very streamlined, like bar type taillights and yeah. very clean lines. It, it looks cool. Yeah. Woo. Woo, man. All right, then. Got some that's cool things to be excited to, about. Yeah, that's the way to end right there. I'm going to go buy a framework. <laughs> I'm going to go buy, buy a framework and uh, start figuring out the next big deal so that you can... Uh, you can get an Alpha 5. Yeah. Maybe that's our company car. Well, Ooh. look, I think that's a, that's enough for one day. So why don't, Griff, you and I get ready for uh, some some lunch. In the meantime, to everybody else, hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or you're curious about anything that Griff and I talked about, and I know we threw a lot at you, but I know what you really want to look at is that link on the DeLorean Alpha 5. So... That's going to be up on the website. Check us out, lighthousesol.com. And that's a forward slash podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And uh, you can find this podcast. You can find the last one. Actually, you can find all of them. And you can see, you can listen to any of them, but you also get a copy of kind of our show notes. That's right, folks. Some extent, we write this. Check it out. And if you have questions while you're on the site, take a look at all the other great stuff that Griff includes on there. News articles, um, things that we're watching, things that we're excited about. It's all up there just the same. All you got to do is click the resources button and you can see everything. And then, of course, um, you know, give us a visit. Reach out to us. Let us know what you're thinking about. If you got questions about anything, love to hear it. Um, until next time, on behalf of Griff, I, myself, and Matt, We'll catch you in just two weeks' time uh, if you're listening to this on release day. If not, we could be out tomorrow. Up next next is the next episode. (laughs) But either way, we'll catch you next time on the Lighthouse IT Solutions Podcast.